When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. On many an occasion, he described the base of his constituency in Cork Southwest as being the furthest from Dáil Éireann, but the nearest to the White House. And I just wonder if the White House ever had a more colourful or well-liked politician inside its walls than former Fine Gael TD PJ Sheehan. PJ passed away on Monday week last at his home in Gauleen on the Mizzen Peninsula at the age of 87. His beloved wife, biggest supporter and best friend Francis passed away seven days previously on the 3rd of August. Inseparable in this life, they are together again in the next. First elected to Dáil Éireann in 1981, he remained there for 21 years before losing his seat in the general election of 2002. But anybody who thought they had seen the last of PJ Sheehan didn't know him well. He won a seat back in 2007. Back in the 1960s, when PJ initially informed Francis that he was running for the council election to say she wasn't impressed, would be putty it very mildly. But when she saw firsthand how close he had come to winning that seat, she realised that he was popular and it would be unfair of her to stand in his way. From then on, Frances was fully committed to the political career of her husband. So, this evening, I believe that it's only fair that we not only pay tribute to PJ, but also to Frances. Good evening and welcome to Where the Road Takes Me. This week, it takes me to the village of Goleen. I got to know PJ well from interviewing him during my time on the West Cork Today programme. From a lot of time spent in Goline, I came to know PJ and Francis on a personal level and spent many an enjoyable hour in their company. In December of 2002, a week before Christmas, and a few short months after PJ had lost his doll air and seat, I sat down with them both in a room behind the shop in their home in Goline. There was some conversation obviously about politics, but overall, this was a laid-back chat about their early years on the mizzen, about PJ's enterprising father who saw to the needs of the local community during times of hardship. How they met? Well, in fact, Francis wasn't really pushed about going to that dance, or afterwards on that first date with the man who would be her future husband. But all of that would obviously change. C'est la vie, as they say. PJ Sheehan was born in the townland of Kilbrown, not far from the village of Goleen, and it was here that his father set the seeds for a grocery business that still exists today. About a mile and a half above the village of Goleen, halfway up a 1500-foot mountain, on a 21-acre parcel of land, as the old song goes, 
You can't rear a wife and a family on 21 acres of land. You should have other means and uh, uh, try to have other means uh, to make a livelihood. Times were tough, of course, at that particular time. We're talking now about the late uh, 30s. And uh, my first day at school in Gawleen, in the National School, was the, the day that Hitler declared war on Poland, the World War. And for six long years after that, there was tough times. You had the, the rationing of foodstuffs. You had a half ounce of tea per person per week. A half ounce of tea would practically be something in the line of a, a tea bag, one tea bag per person per week. There was no such thing as white loaf bread. It was all black bread, rye bread that was coming that time. And the only thing about it was that a lot of people were self-sufficient. Uh, in their little small holdings, they produced an acre of wheat. That wheat would be ground and turned into flour for the cakes. And then they had potatoes and they had their own fish, salt fish, and their own salt pig bacon. And of course, naturally enough, maybe they would be able to purchase a bit of salt beef from the butcher once a month when he'd come to the fair in Gawley. They wouldn't have survived otherwise, I presume. They wouldn't have survived otherwise. No, John, they would not. And um, times were very, very tough, they were. But then again, the people got climatised to it. There was no such thing as sweet cakes and biscuits and you name it. That wasn't uh, there at all at that particular time. And at Christmas, you'd look forward to a beautiful homemade raisin cake. And those raisins were the Valencia raisins. Huge, big raisins. You don't see them at all now in the market. And that was something to look forward to. Of course, Christmas Eve, you had the usual tradition of having the salt ling fish. You grew up in Castletown Bear and you know what salt ling fish means. It was a popular diet, it was for people, and indeed it was a rarity, it was a tradition to have it on Christmas Eve. Then on Christmas morning, there was no such thing as motor cars. You had only the Hackney car. And there was three Hackney cars in Goleen. You had the late Tim Coughlin, you had the late Jack O'Driscoll, and you had the late Dan O'Sullivan. They were always overbooked to collect families for Christmas morning. Naturally enough, as a small little boy, I'll always remember uh, having that lift to the local church from the local taxi men on Christmas morning. Francis Sheehan came from a little further east in the peninsula, from Corrie Dorgan, near the village of Skull. When she got older, she had plans of her own, as most young men and women had. Settling down and marrying a politician certainly wasn't part of them. But, as you probably know, love is far more powerful than ever given credit for. Well, uh, my mother was married to ice and we daughter to ice. And she had three children by her first marriage and the eldest girl died. And the other two girls were brought up in Corridorgan. And then my mother married my father, who originally came from Goleen, but had spent a number of years in America. And I'm an only child by the second marriage. Mm -hmm. But any one of us never knew our fathers because my sisters, their father died. One of them was only a year and the other two, and the other little girl was three. And I was only three when my father died. We're here in the middle of Christmas now, Francis. What what do you remember about Christmas in Corridorgan? Well, I always love Christmas, John. It's the time of the year that I really, really love. And I can remember, I can remember one incident where, you know, Santa at that time used 
go around, maybe a few days, because traveling wasn't very easy in those days, and he would bring the toys and hide them somewhere in the house so that he could display them when he'd arrive with the remainder of the stuff. And I was strolled into our parlor, as they called it in those days, and I opened the drawer of the sideboard and I saw these nice little books. And I was delighted, surprise, surprise. And I was sitting reading and my mother sensed there was something wrong and she went to find out and she said, where did you get those? And I said, I found them in the drawer. Oh, my God, she says, put them back in, she said, because if Santy, it was he put those there, and if he found out, he may not bring any more. So, of course, I got a fright, and I put in my books, and I didn't go exploring any more of those <laughs> anyhow. I can tell you that. And then I can remember that I used to write to him, and she was great. She did the posting. <laughs> And she used to always have a great fire. She used to always say there was a great swallow in the chimney. And she would say, we'd post it to him now and she'd lift the lid. And then she said, I'll put it away in back here and it will fly up. <laughs> and off it flew, of course. <laughs> Happy days. Happy days. Uh, they were lovely. For most, if not all, of his political career, P.J. Sheehan campaigned and fought against rural decline, believing, and rightly so, that people who lived in what some might regard as remote areas, these people were entitled to the same services as their urban neighbours. You could say that people who live in those areas now have the money, but not the services, whereas back in the 1930s and 40s, P.J. remembers people not having money, but the services were there in the village of Goline. The village of Goleen was a thriving village at that particular time. You had four public houses. You still had the four public houses there. But the orders for the Christmas were outstanding. Every person took back maybe a couple of cases of stout, a bottle of whiskey, and uh, curtains and raisins and all this business. Lemon peel. This was all for the Christmas fair, the Christmas stock. And uh, the week before Christmas was an outstanding business week in the little village of Goleen, even though the times were tough. People used uh, tea chests to bring the, the Christmas home. That is correct. They used uh, tea chests. They'd get the tea chests from the local uh, shopkeepers who, uh, down through the years, of course, had the, the tea chests stocked them. And they'd all be given out with, the, with the, the, the groceries at Christmas to the local people. Then you had huge, big barrels of American apples. Real big juicy apples in barrels. Now that'd be forty gallon barrels, maybe fifty gallon barrels, uh, full of apples that come that came from America, from the USA, and uh, they were Californian apples. But uh, they too have disappeared quite a lot. They're not in evidence any longer. You have no apples from Europe and different parts of from Africa and you name it. But uh, the American apple seems to have disappeared. What was Christmas Day like then? Christmas Day was a very solemn holy day. Every Catholic went to confession on Christmas Eve and went to Mass on Christmas morning. Your three Masses on Christmas morning, uh, starting at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. And then I think you had a 12 o'clock Mass as well. 
But uh, those were the days when priests were plentiful as well. You had two priests in Goleen. You had a parish priest and a, a curate. And uh, those days have now vanished again. We're back now to one curate in Goleen and a parish priest in Skull and a curate in, in, in Ballady Hob. But at uh, that time you had four priests in Skull, two priests in Goleen and two priests in Ballady Hob. It's the change of times again. And uh, naturally enough, the youth today have quite a lot in their favour. They can get everything within reach of, very, very near reach of each other. And they can also enjoy it because they have, there's a lot of money in circulation. And especially for young people, they can earn quite a lot of money now in comparison to those hard um, times in the late 30s and 40s and 50s. What about Santi? Santi, yes. I remember him coming first with me and he brought me a, a tricycle. That was at the age of six years of age. And uh, you know yourself, uh, we, got, we were to hang up our stockings at Christmas times at the leg of the bed and uh, before we go to bed at uh, Christmas night. And the stockings were filled with uh, sweets and uh, biscuits and a few little knickknacks like that. And a little, there wouldn't be too much, but what was, the, was in the stocking was what mattered. And uh, we all were fully convinced that Santi was a great man, is a great man, and still is a great man. St. Stephen's Day then, did, did, did you actually sing in the rain? <clears throat> yes, I did sing in the, rain, in the rain as well. But that t- particular time, John, you had rains with uh, melodions and you name it, and there would be about 20 people in the rain. It was a, a, today now, it's a different concept. You have only maybe two or three children. But at that particular time, you could have anything over between 20 and 25 people and men, uh, boys and girls, and they'd be probably about 20 to 25 years of age, maybe 30 years of age. And uh, they had the, the music, the, the melodians, and the, 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 they, they, they had the, the different music, musical items. And they certainly created a very good atmosphere. They had a bugle sounding when they approached the house. And of course, that Naturally enough, all the dogs would from the neighbourhood would be alert, <laughs> and, and the, the, you, you, you're bound to hear them coming. You are about half a mile away. There must have been a great <coughs> atmosphere around Goleen in, in that time. There was a great atmosphere, John, around Goleen at that particular time. You had quite a, a few people who would then come in St Stephen's Day, and then they'd have a, a pint at their local. And that time, you had the, the, the porter was as good that time as what it is now. It was still the same strength, and but uh, I would say that. Uh, People enjoy themselves, they did. Naturally enough, I suppose uh, the, 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 the space of time has changed the atmosphere quite a lot at Christmas times. But then again, you can look back and say to yourself how lucky you were to be able to live through those times to think that at that particular time there was no commercial pressure put on anybody about Christmas. Everything was just lackadaisical. People took it easy and, naturally enough, were thankful for what they had. Coming up in part two, more memories of life in the Mizzen Peninsula with PJ and Francis Sheehan, recorded back in 2002, including how Christmas was celebrated, like it should be and is supposed to be. Here's a little sample of what's to come. I remember we had a lovely little donkey and cart and we had a fellow used to work for my mother. He was John Newman from Ardmanna, just outside of Scotland. John would go off to town with the donkey and car and my mother would walk because we weren't far from the village and the shopping would be done. And I remember on one particular occasion and I often think of it now when we're on the icy roads, John arrived home and there was water on the pathway and the ice was there and John was trying to 
pulled the dam. <laughs> I can still remember it. And I often think now with our power steering and everything, there wasn't much power steering then. And I think even when we're driving on the icy road, you know, things like that would come back to you. You may very well ask, why are we speaking about Christmas on the programme this evening when it's only the middle of August? And I have to admit, that's a very good question. The interview or conversation with former Fine Gael TD PJ Sheehan and his wife Frances was recorded one week before Christmas back in 2002 in Goleen. As I said at the very beginning of the programme, both inseparable in this life and weren't too long apart in the next. PJ passed away on Monday, the 10th of August last, and Francis predeceased him a mere seven days earlier on August 3rd. It certainly looked as if PJ wasn't going to hang about much longer without his beloved Francis. This evening, on Where the Road Takes Me, and with the blessing of the family, we bring you that interview, or conversation as I like to call it, once again, as if we need reminding of what a wonderful, colourful couple they were. Anyway, back to Christmas and to that conversation I had with him in a room behind the family grocery store in Goleen leading up to Christmas of 2002. Well, Frances, although married and living in Goleen, was a skull woman and she certainly wanted to get her speaking about the atmosphere in her native village approaching the festive season. It was always a great atmosphere in Skull Christmas or no Christmas, you know. It was, it was a great, it was a great village and great spirit. And um, we had the convent there and the nuns were very good and they had us in the choir and we'd be singing Christmas Day and they had a lovely adult choir in Skull, beautiful singers. Yeah. Bringing home the Christmas was, was special as well when, you know, going to school for the shopping. Oh, yes. And, you know, you'd be buying the extra things and whatever shop you're dealing, you'd always get a brick and a Christmas candle or maybe the calendar and the Christmas candle. That was the custom then. And then in those days, they lighted the candles. Usually they'd cut a turnip and they'd cut a hole the size of the candle in the turnip and put the little candles into them and put them out in the window, thus you wouldn't have any fires. But, you know, extraordinary. I don't know, did people ever think of fire in those days? And they'd have the candles out in the windows, upstairs and downstairs. It must have been beautiful to stand outside in the darkness and look around the countryside and see all those lighting. Lovely. And I remember um, the big thing on Christmas Eve was going to confession. That was the big thing. And I remember going to town with my mother to confession and she would visit her sister who lived in the village and then I'd be playing with the cousins and the road going down beyond the east end out of Skull was known as Skull Height. And then my mother would say to us, would you ever run down as far as Skull Height, see if the candles, because you could see our house from there. 
to see if the candles are all right. And it was afterwards, as I got older in life, I said, <laughs> you know, it was funny, wasn't it? Like, what could we do if the house was gone and fired the curtains? But she'd always draw back the curtains and make sure. But we could see the candles were fine and we'd return that everything was OK. The Sheehan's family grocery store is still in operation, very much so, in the village of Goleen. It's now run by the couple's son, Dermot. But the idea for the shop was first considered by PJ's father in the home place of Kilbrown, not far from the village of Goleen. The shop is steeped in history, and it goes back a long ways. It does indeed, John. It goes back to 1922, when uh, the Civil War was raging here in this country at the time, and uh, there was no commu- communication to the outside world, hardly for the people around Goleen here, and uh, they had to... There, there was actually very much a need of meal and flour and you name it, all that. So my father decided that he would go to Bantry every second day and bring a ton of meal or flour, or probably mixed uh, load, to, from Bantry to go to Kilbrown. And then he started a shop there in 1922. At that particular time, it was a dangerous uh, route because you could be ambushed and if, you t- if they thought you had money on, your, on you, they would... Uh, steal the money for, you know, yourselves and the purposes. But he got a plan. He never took money around him. He always had the money in a wallet and sewed the wallet into the straddle of the horse. He had a hole in the, underneath the straddle of the horse uh, and the, the straddle, and he used to put the money into the, the straddle of the horse. And any time that he was stopped and uh, asked had any money in his position or searched, they couldn't find no money. The money was uh, was hidden under the saddle at the horse's back. For five or six years, he continued bringing meal and flour from Bantry to the people of Goleen Parish. Then he caught a lorry with solid wheels in it. He was one of the first people from Bantry to the Mizzen Head to have a lorry with solid wheels. And he was to collect butter and eggs once a week around the countryside here from the farmers and give them, uh, supply them with, with, with groceries and meal and flour and you name it. And then he went into the artificial manure in a very big way. He absolutely like expanded the little country shop above in Kilbrown, where I was born. And then through the war years, my mother, Lord Bessel, continued the weekly run to out- outlying areas in the parish with a pony and trap and a horse and cart laden with stuff because at that particular time they could not get any fuel for the lorries at that part- uh, during the war years. In 1951, PJ's mother died, and it was decided that PJ would take over the business. Although it looked like a welcome-to-the-family-business gift, the trunk that his father bought for him was actually meant to be, and it was, a lesson in the management of finances. A father, I never remember, bought me a 1500 pickup Ford truck from Vickery's Garage in Bantry. £500 was the price of the truck. He paid for the truck for me. But he made me, he took the money out of the bank and made me pay back the 500 pounds to the bank. And that was the best medicine I ever got as far as business was concerned. I paid it back and I didn't, then uh, I broadened out in quite a bit. And at uh, w- one particular stage, I kept this, the, the, the manure business going as well and then went into the coal business, delivering coal all over the area. And at one stage in the early 60s, I imported a boatload of slag into Skull for the farmers, 300 tonnes, boatload of slag, and had five lorries drawing for two days to deliver that slag directly from the boat to the farmyards. 
There was one pound they put into the house, to the store. Then, in 1957, I met Frances Collins, my, now my wife, she's from Skull, and we got married in 58, and from that on is now history. Mm. At, at, at what time were you telling me that the, the people were hungry here? The people that were hungry here that, uh, in the uh, 1920s, early 1920s, to the late 1920s, to the mid-1920s, and uh, probably to the late uh, 1920s as well, because he, he had no way of getting meal or flour at that time. Then after that then, there was a delivery then to Gauline by boats, the Carberry King, the Carberry Queen, and the Jasmine. There were three boats plying from Cape Clear. They, they were all owned by people in Cape Clear, plying from Cape Clear to Cork, for long store in Cork that time, it was not, then the Cork building, now it has gone completely. But uh, that was, those were the days, then that was back in the uh, 40s and 50s, and they continued bringing stuff direct from Cork, from the Keys in Cork, right down to Skull, Goleen, and to Bantry. They, they, they were working full time, three to four boats, which would bring about, or oh, they bring about 15 to 20 tonne right. each boat. My father then as well in the 30s and mid-40s, during the war years, in fact, it was the last year, the, the 1945 was the last year he finished uh, the business of salt uh, mackerel. He used to buy the mackerel, and in fact he used to fish as well on St. Cruz, St. Bort Cruz in Dunmanus Bay from September until November. They used to be catching what they call the autumn mackerel. This would be about... 20 men, there were at least 20 men employed in the same boats and, and uh, the other fishing boats following the same boat. On shore then, he'd have about maybe 15 to 20 female staff employed each day to prepare the, the catch for packing into barrels, for salting, and then eventually, after they'd been packed and repacked after three weeks again, repickled, then they'd be ready then they would for transport to America. And used to uh, export the mackerel from Dunkelly to, I'll never remember the name of the firm, they're now gone out of existence, I presume. They were S.H. Levinson's, 116 North Delaware Avenue, Philadelphia, USA. With all of this business and expansion going on, it's difficult to imagine where the time for romance came from, but it did from somewhere. Along came one Francis Collins from Corrie Dorgan and Skull, and the local businessman and budding politician from Goleen was smitten. So let's find out from Francis when, where and how all of this happened. Oh, it's a few days ago. <laughs> I actually was, I went to England at one stage of my life. I wanted to get away. And I told my mother I was going on a holiday. And um, I went, and time went on anyhow, and she decided this was no holiday. <laughs> and uh, one day I got a telegram at work, come immediately, mother seriously ill. So I packed my bags and I came back. And when I arrived in home, my mother was hale and hearty, having a nice dinner ready. 
So I knew then, I said, this is it. And I stayed then for a while and I said, I'll go back again. I wanted to go. And I left some of my clothes in the case. And while I was away, this neighbour of mine, Kathleen Sheehan, she's now Kathleen Jones, and Kathleen was called to her every day. Kathleen was an only child like myself, and we went to school together, so she was very friendly with my mother. We were great friends as a family, anyhow. And Kathleen used to go, and Kathleen wanted to go to a dance in Kilcrohan, and she said to me, will you come? And I said, no, I said, I can't, Kathleen, I can't do that. And... My mother said to me, girl, she said, you're very ungrateful. And she was so good to me while you were away. So I said, that case, I will go. And I went and I met Paddy in Kilcrohan. And he asked you out? Yes, he did. And then I decided that I thought I better not. But then I did again. And it started from there. Things blossomed from there. <laughs> Sometimes they didn't. More times they didn't. <clears throat> but how many? We're still together forty-five years to she and my God. Very much so. He, w- he was saying to me earlier on when he when he announced to you firstly that uh, he was intending to go into politics. You weren't too uh, uh, impressed by it, and it wasn't until you realised how successful he was and how close he came to being elected that uh, you went along with it. He was actually beaten. I didn't canvas. I said no, I can't do that I just can't and um, he was beaten just by 80 votes and then I said to myself my god if so many people wanted him why should I not help Mm -hmm. and go out I said I did wrong and the next time I went out and he was elected anyhow well not through me but I suppose they knew him better than two and um, he got elected the next time so from there on then just kept going When Frances got over the initial shock of her husband entering politics, she decided to commit to his career. And when Frances Sheehan was committed, Frances Sheehan was committed. And it needed to be a team effort. Take, for instance, the travelling to and from Doyle Aaron. Going to Cork is a long distance. Add Cork to Dublin onto that, and it's not a journey you care to make on your own, especially if you're facing or ending a week in politics. We were very much a team, all right, we were, because, like, from Gawleen to Darlian, it was 240 miles. I had the distinction of being the furthest away TD from Darlian and the nearest TD to the White House. But I was 80 miles from the train service. And by the time to, you would be the cart to catch the half at 7 train in the morning, you could set into your car and drive to Dublin, because the road from Cork to Dublin, it was a good road, but the, the worst of the, of the journey was from Gawleen to Cork. And uh, we decided at that particular time that we would drive to Dublin. And Francis did almost two-thirds of the driving of that journey for 21 years. And I did about one-third of it. I used to do tapes in the car on behalf of my constituents and do a lot of my dial work uh, in the front seat of the car to tapes for the secretary. And then uh, when I'd arrive up, she'd be ready to get into business as far as delivering the goods were concerned and trying to get the show going. But I enjoyed Dalian. I had a good team of friends there, cross-the-board friends from Fianna Fáil Party, Labour Party, Independents, you name it, the Progressive Democrats, all those people. I had very happy memories of Dalian and I may not be finished yet. And PJ Sheehan wasn't finished yet. That was 2002. He was back in Dal Éireann in 2007. Remembering PJ and Francis Sheehan on this week's edition of Where the Road Takes Me. The former Fianna Gael TD for Cork South West died on Monday the 3rd of August. His wife Frances passed away just one week previously. Part 3, the concluding part, follows on shortly. 
Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's 2002, a week before Christmas, and I'm in the village of Goline and the home of former Fianna Gael TD PJ Sheehan. Former TD, there are two words most people believe they would never have to use in describing PJ at this time. But he has lost a seat in Dáil Éireann after 21 continuous years. Still, PJ is philosophical about it all. He probably knows well by now what he should or shouldn't have done that would have got him over the line in the general election earlier in the year. He has probably also made up his mind to run again and has the confidence in his own ability to get him back on the road to Dublin once again. And if that's the case, how right he is. PJ Sheehan was back hassling the city boys for more for West Cork five years later, in 2007. But right now he reflects on 21 years in Dáil Éireann and a political career that began 42 years ago in 1960. I was fairly active with Dermot Cullinan and a few more, Dennis Donovan, and the three of us went to a convention in Bantry for the selection of a county council candidate in March 1960. At that particular time, the late Christy Vaughan was the then sitting councillor, and he was from Kirkel in Bantry. He had a very, very renowned trotting pony at that uh, particular time called Flying Saucer. And indeed, he was a flying saucer, and he absolutely made uh, Christy Vaughan's name, a lot of us in his story, before he got into politics. But we went to the convention, and I'll never remember, it was held in a little hall in, uh, in Chapel Street in Bantry. And um, there was only 11 people at the convention, and that 11 included the, the county councillor, the late Christy Vaughan. And the party decided that they, were, they would look to try to put up a second candidate in the, to the five-seat area, which it is always a five-seat area, in the Skull area, electoral area. It is now known as the Bantry electoral area. But uh, they tried hard to get the second candidate and they couldn't. So they eventually it came down to me and they said, Paddy, will you try it? 
I said, look here, I have the ghost of a chance of getting elected from Kilbrown, I said, in Gawleen. But I own spoiled sport, I said. I will try it. I was only two years married at the time. And I tell you this much, when I told my wife, Frances, that I was selected to go forward for the council, she did not uh, approve it very much indeed, I tell you that, but she was not happy about it at all at all. But things progressed forever, and the voting day came. And when the votes were counted, I missed the last seat to the late Jim Rycroft, the lot of us with the South Log, and uh, he was from Skull. I missed the last seat by 81 votes. So at that stage, when I started first, my wife did not take part in any campaign. But when she saw that I came so near winning a seat in the county council, and my first attempt, she made sure that when the second election came, it didn't come for seven years afterwards, just postponed on count of different things in the national parliament. And in 67 was the next election, and I ran the next election, and I headed the poll in the next election, got 2,456 first preference votes, and the quota was only 1,600 and something. But it was a complete personal vote. <clears throat> I failed to bring in a second man at that particular time at me. But after that, or the election after that, I, I was brought in a second man, and eventually I finished up at the last election with three, winning three out of the five seats uh, for the party in the last county council election. But I must say that my wife Frances did play a predominant role in my political career after the 1967 election and during the 1967 election. You were very much, uh, and still are, of course, very much a team together, and you travelled a lot to Dublin. I mean, did you ever mind the travelling up and down? No, I love driving. Yeah. Driving is very relaxing, and I planned a lot of things that I wanted to do while I was going along the road. You know, how you, when you're on your own and he'd be reading the paper or maybe asleep, mm-hmm. and I'd have, you know, my own thoughts then, and I liked it. I didn't mind that. And while he was in, in Doyle Air and then you you had time to yourself in Dublin, of course. Oh, I had. I had time to myself. I had pastimes that I like walking and swimming and I had my own things to do. You have to have occupation. Looking back on the political life now, I suppose that there were good days and there were bad days, of course, as well. There were great yeah, days. Yeah. There were great days and great characters. There's an awful lot of wit and humour in this country. And the further into the country you go, the better kids. That is, it was wonderful. I, there was a lot of people that I loved meeting. What about the general elections? Did you enjoy those? Well, the canvassing was a bit of a, you know, but apart from that, I didn't mind them. Sure, you know, like I say, if you're wanted, you're wanted, and you can make people do mm. <laughs> what they don't want to do. Sure, yeah. And it, it's a life, of course, that, uh, you know, if you like your privacy, you, you can't have privacy in politics. No, no, forget about it. It's the first Christmas, I would say, in 21 years that I'm so organised. Yeah, and that's saying something. But still, we have a lot of lovely friends now and all the lovely Christmas cards we got and the kind words, you know, it is nice. And then you'd look back and sometimes I'd say, my God, why, it was a pity we had more time, you know, because we were always rushing here and there. And there's always something to go to a funeral or a meeting or a dinner or something like oh, that. Oh, always. There was always something. You were out at night and you were up in the morning and time passed so quickly. I, I can't realise 21 years has gone so fast. Mm-hmm. On receiving the advice that PJ got at Times, 
most political hopefuls would have thrown in the towel. Seemingly, because of where he lived, PJ didn't stand a chance of being elected to the council, and certainly not to Dáil Éireann. Being the furthest from the Dáil, and the nearest to the White House, was as good a reason as any to forget about politics. People did say to me that it would be impossible to get elected to the county council from Kilbrown. Then I moved down to Gawleen, and people told me that it would be impossible for me to get elected to Dáil Éireann from Gawleen. That the people were not there, that there was nothing behind me, only the Atlantic Ocean. And the fastest light also was my only bright light behind me. <laughs> so I confounded all the critics, but it wasn't, but it was a hard way up. It was a very hard road up, it was. I was co opted, of course, into the Committee of Agriculture when the late Councillor Christy Vaughan died. And that gave me five years in the Committee of Agriculture, which I was chairman of it as well at one particular stage, and a member of it until it was abolished some years ago. And um, that gave me a footing for the county council. But I never remember, there was one meeting to Cork a month, a shilling a mile, a bob a mile, and uh, it was hard to make ends meet with a bob a mile. But like I, I used other ways and means as well. I, in the little truck that I had at that particular time, I um, used to bring down a lot of Ford boxes to farmers and uh, 40 and 50 gallon wine casks from Woodford Burns to the farmers and tried to work in sidelines that keep the show going. It was hard to keep it going, though, at that particular time. What did the farmers use the, the wine casks for, then? They used to cut the wine casks in two and use them as feeding trucks for cattle. And they were ideal for that. They were beautiful feeding trucks. Out there because they were so heavy that they the cattle wouldn't sh- couldn't shift them very easily. And uh, the Ford boxes were used for shuttering. That was a, the start of the era of the improvement in farm buildings. And naturally enough, farmers were looking for shuttering for concrete walls and you name it, building outhouses and improving outhouses. So by and large, it was a, a very, very successful enterprise. But then, coming back to the Dalian, I tried for Dalian, then I did. I got elected Dalian in 81. But that was on my, my fourth attempt, was it? My fourth attempt, yeah. I tried in 69, and I got over 4,000 number ones. I tried in 73 and got 5,500 votes. But didn't didn't get elected. John Ellis was not elected at that particular time. And I tried again in '77. Got the worst vote in my political career. My third attempt at Dalian, by virtue of the fact of that was the time of Martin O'Donoghue's famous policy of no rates on houses, no tax on cars. Jack Lynch got a 77 seats in Dalian at that particular time. A huge majority. He got an overall majority. Did and uh, in '81, four years afterwards, Gareth Fitzgerald as leader of the party, Fidel Party in about 79 and I never remember he came down to Castleton Bear in 1980 November 1980 and he said to me Paddy he says you'll have to run again because we could get the second seat this time in South West Cork I said Garrett don't be calling me I said I said I've got three attempts at Darlene I almost got that the first two attempts and the third attempt I said was a disaster well he said look here I guarantee you, you'll get it again. You'll get there, he says, if you'll run this time. So I decided, I'd say, against all advice to run again. And I ran and won the second seat for the Finnegal party in South West Cork in 1981 and held it for 21 years until last May, when I lost it only by a mere handful of 18 votes. Frances enjoyed her years in Kilbrown, but when they decided to move the business the short distance to the village of Goleen, the writing, she says, was on the wall, more or less, for rural Ireland. We had a small farm too, but sure, anything small hardly exists today. And 
we thought it better to move in time and we did and we started the business here. We were, both of us were great friends with the people. They were O'Sullivan's. Miss Oat was a post office one time and she had the post office. I knew her very well and I used to come to visit her when I came to live to Kilbrown. But um, I believe it was also a public house at some stage. So happy times. And we were only talking a while ago about uh, how these times are changing so much. I mean, do you look back on those days with, with, with a lot of fondness? Oh, we, oh, yes. Oh, yes. I love speaking to elderly people. You know, you know, they are lovely. I hope, like I said, that we'll be like them, you know, that we'll try and imitate their ways. And they all, were very innocent people. Of course. And all the old characters are going now and nobody to replace them. no. No, here and there you would you would meet the odd one, and uh, it's nice to see it. Yeah, but they they were great. They were, you know, they came at night and they played cards, and they were great characters. I enjoyed I enjoyed my years in Kilbrown with the people that used to come at night, and they were nice neighbors, and we had nice times. Finally, no conversation or interview with PJ would have been complete without referring to his famous last joust with Taoiseach of the time, Charles J. High. There were talks that he could be overthrown, you know, and uh, this particular day, morning, at the order of business, the rumour was rife around Darlene that um, it would be about three months before he retired that um, the move was on to Austin. So at the order of business, I asked him something about West Cork, but he gave a kind of a smart answer back. So I did say to him, I said, Taoiseach, I said, don't be too smart, I said. I'd advise you, I said, if I was you, to batten down the hatches. Hurricane LB is on the way. <laughs> so the final day that he was departing from his high officer's tree truck, at the order of business, on the Tuesday evening at about 20 past four, I cut the uh, Count Corla's eye. And he said, the deputy Sheehan. So I rose on my feet, of course, and that's enough when you would ask a question, darling, you'd have to get up and stand on your feet. And um, I said, Count Corla, I said, Seeing that the Taoiseach is departing his high office within the next two hours. Before he goes, he said, I want to put the records of this house straight. When is he going to extend the powers of the Castletown Bear Harbour Master over the waters of the Bearhaven Sound? At that particular time, that was a topical question to us because we were steady after the Taoiseach and the Minister to extend the powers of the Castletown Bear Harbour Master. Uh, over the waters of the Belhaven Sound because they wanted the Castletown Bear to bring in the factory ships under their control and to be a bigger revenue to Castletown Bear Harbour and the Harbour Master because it was under the Bantry Harbour Board's jurisdiction before that. So the town called and said, Deputy Sheehan, he says, you're out of order. He says, you must resume your seat or leave the house. Count Corley, I said, don't be getting too excited. I said, look to your left. I said, the Taoiseach is ready to answer to answer my question. So he, he, he looked to his left, the Count Corley did, and he did. There the Taoiseach got out, was standing on his feet, and he said, Deputy Sheehan, the battle between the two of us is over. We'll return our swords to the scabbards. <laughs> that was the last words he said as Taoiseach before he left Dalian. He was a colourful character. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say that, that uh, outside of Dolly <clears throat> were you good friends? And Very you? good friends. Yeah. Very good friends. The question now, of course, is what can I say about PJ and Francis that hasn't been said before, especially over the last few weeks? The answer to that is nothing. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. A guaranteed Irish colourful character in every sense of the word. Political rancour didn't exist in PJ's world. The added bonus for him, of course, was his wife Frances, 
an intelligent, lovely, witty, caring, and supportive wife and friend. No doubt there's a bit of canvassing going on with St. Peter up in Doyle Heaven at the moment. Our sincere sympathy to all their friends, but especially to their family, who will miss them both most of all. Doc Martin was in sound this evening. Thank you for joining us. And do drop by at the same time next week. But until then, this is John Green wishing you a great, but above all, a healthy week. Goodbye for now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,